What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you again, this time without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. But we are picking up where we left off with Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report. You can follow him at GT underscore Hughes. We're rolling through the second half of our, and now for something completely different, awards predictions for the upcoming NBA season. If you haven't listened to part one, be sure to find that uh, where our podcast can be found. You you definitely missed out on some great and oft obscure basketball talk there. Before we sort of just dive right in and there won't be a natural segue since this was pre-recorded, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead, just continue asking everyone to keep rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes Still the best way that you can help out the podcast. We really appreciate everyone who's thrown in a rating. We love the reviews that we see. Five stars are the greatest. If you have something to say about the podcast feedback-wise, feel free to throw that in the comments section or the review section that you can write. Uh, We know we've been having some sort of jargled internet issues. Uh, We are working on those. Um, both of us, Andy and myself, will be changing locations. Um, sometimes it's just a hazard of the business, and I hate cutting people off mid-podcast, but we are aware of that one. Hopefully it hasn't been ruining your experience too much because they normally are short, very intermittent. We also can be found wherever podcasts are listened to. Rate, review, subscribe to us there if that medium allows, but iTunes is still the best way to help us out. Remember to suggest us to anyone you think might enjoy a basketball podcast mixed with both terrible, awful, no good, really bad basketball opinions and some occasionally, infrequently, okay, not terrible basketball takes. As always, you can still get 15% off at the NBA Math Shop, nbamath.com slash shop, promo code Benno, B-E-N-O. You should remember how to spell it. But without any further delay, we're going to get back to Grant Hughes and the second half of our and now for something completely different awards predictions leading into the 2018-2019 NBA season. Um, let's do real quick the most likely to use the I was hacked excuse by All-Star Weekend. Um, you want to relay Andy's see. excuse? Uh, yeah, Andy had a good and, one, and, sneaky one. Andy said Michael Porter, um, and because I am not a young hip person, um, I don't know what about Michael Porter suggests that he's like uh, he, uh, a candidate for this. So maybe you can he liked me. something that said Luka Doncic was overrated. And he oh, said it was I did an know that. So he kind of already yeah. used the "I was hacked" excuse. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Good pick, Andy. Um, but I'd never say that to your face. Um, I pick Lonzo Ball just because. Is it weird that I feel bad for Lonzo Ball? Like, is that okay? Because he uh, obviously his father is just like making his life difficult. Less so lately, but you know, just as a general principle, he's got all this pressure on him. He's in LA. He's from UCLA. He's from LA. Period. And he's just—it's just a lot. And I could see him getting overwhelmed and at some point tweeting just like, you know, maybe after one of the Lakers twenty-five team meetings, being like, "Man, these." These guys are on some bullshit or like can't, can't win for losing or like he'll straight, you know, someone will tweet something negative about Luke Walton and he'll make that he'll do that. He'll retweet it with the eyes emoji or something um, that I could just it just seems so possible to me um, that he's going to have to use the excuse just because he's, you know, he's he's dealing with a lot in, for the Lakers. Yeah. Plus Rondo and LeBron and all that stuff. Uh, the, all only, that. the only thing I'll say and I don't know if you saw it. Scott Brooks said something interesting about LeVar Ball. And I'm not a fan of LeVar Ball. There are think pieces that have been written about him. There will be more written about him. He Scott Brooks pointed out, though, that LeVar Ball has been there 
for his son. And that kind of changed the way I look at it. But yeah. I would think he's more overbearing than not to Lonzo. So I kind of agree with your pick. And then you also look at, and this was the basis for my pick, but you just look at how kind of loose uh, Ball and Kuzma and Josh Hart have been on social media yeah, over the offseason. You could see something going wrong. And that's why I picked Ennis Canner because he's yep. just tried to turn himself into like the, the voice of the people of New York. And it's just... I could see it going wrong. He's starting beefs with Spencer Dimwitty. He went from making fun of LeBron during the season to fake recruiting him over the offseason. And it's just interesting that he's doing this. He's making a mockery of it, too, of the fact that if the Knicks had a team option on him as opposed to a player option, he wouldn't be there right now. (laughs) So I could just see something weird happening. He's going to tweet something wrong just because he's going at it um, so often now, or even just... Maybe he'll eventually lose a starting spot uh, to Kristaps Porzingis, and he's coming off the bench behind him and Kevin Knox. And maybe Mitchell Robinson kind of usurps him in the rotation when they're in full tank mode. Who knows? I, I just think that he's a possibility. I, I really do like both. The, there's probably a lot of good picks here, but I really do like the Dra- uh, the Draymond Green. Wow, we're not talking about dick picks. Uh, <laughs> where I really do like the Michael Porter and Lonzo Ball picks. You know, I it's been cool for a long time to to like you know nudge your buddy and be, you know, about how Enos Cantor sucks and like how, you know, they can't play him and all that stuff. And like, I'm not in on Enos Cantor basketball player so much. I think he's, you know, he has his, his pluses, but obvious major defensive minuses. I am a million percent in on Enos Cantor human being. I, I think Same. he's so, he's so great. Um, and, and I think, uh, he's like the only guy that would do some crazy social media stuff and like say I was hacked, like while winking, you know, like to the press scrum and just like, screw it. I don't care. You know, that like there's a dictatorial regime in Turkey that really hates me. You think I'm afraid of like social media missteps? Like who cares? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in on Ines Cantor. More power to him. Uh, where would you like to head now? Let's hit the hair options in quick succession because there are four of them. You're welcome, um, everybody. And you feel strongly about the first one. So best haircut players division. Um, your selection, Dan, Lonnie Walker, and yep. there's going to be some controversy. Maybe we should do this in tandem with the worst haircut for players. Oh yeah. Good idea. Cause you and Andy both picked. Yeah. We both picked Walker for worst hair. Um, and as we were talking about off pod, it really comes down to like, what's your definition of, <laughs> it's like a Bill Clinton thing. Like definition of is, is what's your definition of good, best and worst. Because I can see you how you got to best, like comedically, um, sort of like as a spectacle. I don't think there's a competitor for Walker's hair. But here, he, my thought is, go ahead. Here's I, this is the only thing I'm going to justify it with. He has found a way to get Alfred Payton's haircut without impacting his shooting percentages in an adverse fashion because it's up, it's not down and sloping. <laughs> Let's give this guy some props. He's clearly thinking ahead. He also well, just seems like a terrific human being. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he just seems so thankful to be in the NBA and, and the attitude and the positivity he brings. Um, and he had this Instagram post about his mom and everything. So that might have skewed my perception a little bit. But that and the angle of his hair does it for me. This, this, is, a, this is a sterling defense of your position. I, I definitely like structurally, it's an achievement. Like I have a lot of questions about how the physic, like how it stays up like that. Um, you know, listen, it's a fine line between best and worst when, you know, there's no counting for taste, but for me, um, you mentioned Peyton and like Peyton always drove me insane because like his hair legitimately affected his ability to play basketball. Like there's, there, there are reels of, of him on YouTube, you know, hitting it with shots, like airballing free throws. Cause he's like nicking the hair on the way up. It flopping in his eyes as he's coming up the floor. It's like, and my, my takeaway on that is. If if you are gonna let your if hair is a priority to that degree, it, it tells me that you are not a hundred percent serious about basketball because you cannot be because it's in your way. It's like you wouldn't would a guy wear like a quintuple XL jersey just because he liked the way it felt if he was always like catching the ball on it when he dribbled. It's like you're not a hundred percent serious about basketball. Um, Walker's different because he doesn't have the the bill of the hat like Peyton did. Um, but it still gives me a little bit of pause because it's like, 
maybe he's not totally bought in. Maybe, maybe this guy just, you know, hair is a priority. It's 2% of his life priorities and basketball is only 98%. I want it to be a hundred because I'm an old white man Commenting who feels paternal yeah. to everybody and I want him to be his best. And so I'm trying to shame him into getting a more reasonable haircut, I guess is what I'm saying. Who did you, if you want to relay your and Andy's pick for, oh yeah, oh, yeah. different ones, but best haircut um, So Andy picked Ricky Rubio because Ricky Rubio plays for the Jazz. I think we can stop there. Um, Kyle And has cool hair, so I'll grant him that. Um, Kylo Quinn was my pick and then in parentheses, beard. Because I think unlike crazy hair, a long, lustrous beard. He has great shine to the beard. It's difficult. I don't know what you do to make a beard shiny, um, but it looks very soft and inviting. And if you were to like nuzzle it, I think it'd be very pleasant. It probably smells good. I bet too. Um, <laughs> so I, I think Kylo Quinn's beard is the best hair and stuff gets stuck in it. So maybe it wouldn't smell good. Well, this, this, you want thing. day old like pizza cheese? No. This this see, you're you're walking right into my point here, Dan. Um, he you would think that, um, but what it, the fact that you've never seen Crumb One in O'Quinn's beard tells me that he takes care of it, and that's another that's where I get the my suspicions about the good smell. I think he he really that's a it's a it's a priority for him. Um, so the fact that it looks so good tells me you there are no crumbs in there. There's no yeah. There's no there's nothing. So I'm I'm weighing in on Kyle O'Quinn's beard. Um, James Harden's beard is a different story. That looks kind of gnarly sometimes. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sometimes. that's, you know, speaks for itself, man. Kyle Quinn's beard is sweet. Who did you have for work? Oh, we know your worst haircut player. Um, I had Cody Zeller for worst haircut. That's a good pick. Uh, it's just like, you know, he, he's kind of just this like used car salesman look or like, just even like have a deeper cut. It kind of just looks like he's an assistant manager at a CVS or a Walgreens who is overworked thinning hair um yeah. and is trying to help you um find the dry scalp shampoo in aisle 17 <laughs> and it's just i don't mean to i'm i'm ugly as hell so it's not like i'm i'm not trying to comment on his appearance in that way but he's only 25 and to just have that it's kind of sad and and i feel like maybe he should with this thinning hair look it might be time to i don't know how he looked with it shaved but it might be time like you got to try something else, man. I don't even know that there just, there has to be something done. Maybe, maybe get some plugs, uh, maybe start wearing a headband a little bit or something. Uh, so he, he was just my pick and it's more out of just, I feel for him. Like I just, yeah, I, I feel tough, bad. Man. He's 25 he's and he looks like he's 47 and an assistant manager at a, a pharmacy slash grocery store. That's the thing. Um, I'm glad he's got that contract and I'm glad that like two years ago we all agreed that he was you know whatever that stupid stat of like not stupid that crazy stat of the hornets were like 17 and three in the games he played and like two in a million when he did or something crazy he's really good um and it would have been a candidate for the analytics slash common fan Dirty question work extraordinaire yeah but like he's a four-year collegiate player i think um he's not that athletic and he's and he's and he's just like you're not doing yourself any favors you look like the rec league guy that's like 42 and can't move um two-year collegiate player by the way ah damn it um so yeah anyway point stands he looks crazy old and he's not old and it makes him look like a worse player so how he got that contract i don't know because the optics just aren't, aren't any good um worst let's stick with the hair and go coach clean sweep best hair quinn snyder uh, did you even think about anybody else can i just let me just give you the three quick the two quick reasons why one first of all ricky rubio copied his haircut and so the fact that he used it as inspiration says everything, but it's like, it's this perfect haircut that makes him, he could be the protagonist in a movie, but he could also be a supervillain. Like he's basically, yes. if you look at his hair, it's Hans Gruber from Die Hard and then Ben Affleck in Argo. And just like com <laughs> two completely different character arcs, but he's got, he's got the hair for both parts and sign me up for both. It works when he smiles. It works when he gives the death stare. It just, it works. You know what's interesting about his hair is it's clearly and he's it's changed a little bit. I think he cut it was it's gotten shorter, I think. Um, but it's still really long. It's a choice. It's it, that is a clear choice because there's a bunch of product in it. It's like super like wet looking and he can do he can go middle part, he can go straight back, he can do side part, he can do all he's got a whole lot going on, but he's clearly like this is this is my thing because nobody else has hair like this. It's a very weird like 80s movie like you said, 80s movie villain haircut. Um he could go shorter if he wanted to, 
he could, you know, he could, he doesn't have to go Rick Carlisle, but that's an option for him. Um, but he's just like, this is what I'm doing. And you know what? I'm, I'm into it. It's, it looks, it's kind of ridiculous. And I wouldn't be shocked if someone also had him for worst hair for that reason. No, um, that no, is listen, unacceptable. Do a Twitter poll. Cause you know, we've, we've established, you know, in I don't, conjunction I don't care with about this podcast. Twitter. We will, I'll, I'll throw out a poll who, yeah. who has the best hair. Do it. And just, no, no, no. Just say Quinn Snyder's hair. Great, terrible, or other or something. And let's see what let's see what you get. Um, but yeah, clean, clean sweep. I, I you know I'm just playing devil's advocate just to see what happens. Worst haircut. Three different choices. Um, Andy's pick is just mean. Andy's is mean. It's a. I was just gonna say that he's a bald guy. What do you want? Steve Clifford. He's, he lost his hair. He's, I'm, he's I'm deleting to... this pick. People can't see it in the Google spreadsheet, but Andy <laughs> you... has lost picking privileges for this. I category. can verify you deleted it. I just saw it. Um, <laughs> leave Steve Clifford alone. Uh, I picked Eric Spolstra. Uh, sorry, you have more. You're gonna bag on Andy a little bit. I no, don't you know what? I'm gonna say who Andy should have picked because I think okay. that he's probably. I think both of us have two of the three top candidates for this, and then there's a third one that's obvious to me. Oh, hold on. Let me. This is great pod. While I think quietly, no. Why don't you tell me who your third candidate is? Uh, Mike Buttonholzer. Yeah, because he's not quite to Clifford territory, um, but he could be. He's just not letting it go yet. Yeah, that's 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 a good choice. Um, I picked Spolstra because, in a way, it's he's a his hair is like a weird cousin of Quinn Snyder's because it's got the wet look. Um, but I I think if you scrutinize Spolstra's hair, and and I'll, I'm here to tell you, I have. For this exercise, <laughs> um, it's like he like covers up by combing it in a certain way and like keeping it kind of plastered down. Um, he's a great candidate to me for just going short, and he hasn't done it yet. And it feels a little like he's trying to hang on. You know, it feels a little desperate to me. So you have to look closely, but I'm confident that that if you do, you're going to see what I'm talking about with his hair. It's some bald spots, some thinning, some weird patchiness that he's covering up, and uh, he's a good enough coach that he shouldn't have to shouldn't have to hide who he is. So that's I, my two cents. I imagine that Danny Zuko from Greece, out of high school, 25 years, 30 years removed, 40 years removed from high school. That's what his hair would look like, right down to the product that is put in. Okay, it. I'm I'm into it. Uh, I picked Tom Thibodeau. Because it's just like, let it go, man. And don't yeah. draw attention to the, f- at least let it go all natural. Like, don't plaster it down. And you stress yourself. It seems like he loses hair each and every year, which happens with At halftime? Yeah, he's <laughs> he's 60 years old, but I could see him as just like a guy who pulls it out and overstresses himself. But he tries to do like this thick flip in the middle now where the rest of it's bald. It just looks really i i mean if you can go down a, a tom thibodeau hair evolution rabbit hole in the image section of google search oh yeah it used to just had the product and slick back and it doesn't look like it was all that long ago that he had it and now it's just it's just all gone and i feel like and again these are things that they can't control but it feels like he could be doing something different with it it might even look better if he wasn't trying to angle it or style it or using too much product and he, also i feel like he would have more hair if he just wasn't such an intense human being this is the thing he he strikes me as someone you know the 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 legendary like early mornings and late nights doing film and he's just he's a total workaholic and all this stuff he strikes me as someone who would really prefer the simplicity of the shaved head um and it does i i'm surprised that he's hung on to it this long but to your point of like if you look back at the the tom thibodeau hair archives there's that one picture from like when he was an assistant with the timberwolves and who knows when the mid 90s maybe um, where he's got a glorious full head of hair on top and the mullet. You, I, I assume you've seen this picture. Um, it's a it's a wavy, curly. It's wonderful. It would have been a candidate for best hair. And so, based on the fact that he had that at one time, I guess you could understand why he's trying to hang on because it was really something. But that's the only defense I have for him. You, it's just you look at him right down to his haircut, and you're like, wow, that's a coach who you know is is going to play the cartilage out of his players' knees. Yes, like, that's and just, just eat antacids for breakfast. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> what he did. Um, where are we going? We are nearing the end for everyone who is still with us. Uh, we have five categories to go, and we'll try and get through them quickly. But Grant is – I mean, two of them are paired. So you, you have some Two of them are paired. You. Okay, well, I'm going to do the, the team most likely to be on the wrong end of a lopsided trade. Um. Andy picked the Timberwolves, which I'm going to assume has to do with Jimmy Butler, like angling to get out. Good pick. Um, I picked the Blazers. We've kind of touched on this, but like 
it feels to me like there's some desperation to, to shake it up there and get off the treadmill, especially if like they get off to a start where it's clear they're just not a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of my thinking, and maybe it's McCollum, maybe it's like anything else that's not nailed down just because they feel desperate to get off, say, like Evan Turner's money or Myers Leonard's money or, or whatever. Um, I just see them as a candidate to kind of get – you know, a little skittish and kind of say, look, we got to, we got to change for the sake of change just because this isn't, this, this just doesn't work anymore. Um, I like your pick too, though. So go for it. Yeah. You, I like your pick and he's pick was solid. If you're using the Jimmy Butler logic, uh, the Hornets for me, and it, it's not just Kemba Walker. It is Kemba Walker because if you move him, you're going to get nothing for him at this point. If right. you get, I mean, just it's not even that he's on the expiring contract, but just look at what has happened in the Kawhi Leonard trade. Uh, like these superstar trades have not been doorbusters for the teams that are selling. And when you put Kemba Walker, who I do believe is a top 25 player, but he's not a guy that you give a max contract to automatically, that complicates no. the equation. We could just be looking at uh, their return could be, hey, we're trying to get off a bad contract and you're taking it with Kemba Walker. That could literally yeah. be the extent of the trade. The other thing for me is Nicholas Batum, his contract isn't isn't good. It is, I mean, it's objectively bad. Uh, He's owed $76.7 million over the next three years. I still think he's a good NBA player. And yet here's, here's just something I want to propose to you. And I actually wrote about this. If you could just trade him and get off that third year. So you're taking back one of the worst deals in the league or a pair of them, but you're getting out of his money a year early, if you're the Hornets, you consider it. Should you be entering a rebuild? Like, what if the Grizzlies said, give us Nicholas Batum, his three years and $76.7 million. We'll give you Chandler Parsons, two years, $49.2 million. That's something that they might consider. What if the Blazers said, hey, Myers, Leonard, and Evan Turner, who make about $59 million combined over the next two years, compared to Batum at 76.7 over three. That's a deal that I think if you're the Hornets – and you're rebuilding, and I I do believe they'll inver- they'll inevitably get there. Maybe they won't. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. That's something you consider. And to lose a player like that, it could even be the same with Michael Kidd Gilchrist. He's not someone that you want to have in your rebuild, but he can be a good defender. And to just get rid of him like that um, as a Kemba Walker trade accessory or, or just to get out of the final year of his deal next season, uh, they could get themselves into some trouble where they're not just accepting a bad return on Kemba Walker, but they're doing so on Batum and, and MKG as well. Yeah, the Hornets, I mean, I think the Pistons are a candidate for this, for not for necessarily being on a lopsided trade, but the Hornets have more contracts on their books where I look at them and be like, I think I would just, if I had the ability, not even going to what you're saying of taking on bad money, but like just as a just as sort of a, a quick like, yes or no type of test. They have so many guys where I'd be like, if I could just wipe this contract away and I don't have the player anymore and I got nothing in return, but not having him on the books, I would, I would just erase him. Like they have so many guys like that. And the Pistons are there too. I mean, mainly cause Griffin and I think Reggie Jackson's in that category for me too. And maybe even Drummond. Oh, he's there. Um, John Lohr. Yo, John Lohr. Jeez. Where, where it's just like, if Batum, so for, for me, Batum is like, if you could move Batum for almost anything, I think that would be okay. But it's still it would still be a bad trade for you because you signed this crazy deal. It's yeah, the Hornets are. I just don't know. I mean, if if they could get off Walker, uh, not get off Walker. If they could get off Batum or MKG or whatever as part of the Walker trade, that might be like as good as they can hope to do at this point because they've just waited so long. If you can't get off. Nicholas Batum might be impossible because then now all of a sudden you're trying to move like $40 million in salary with Kemba. Yeah. Marvin Williams maybe might be a good candidate for that. Yeah, I forgot about him. Even Cody Zeller, it's like that deal is okay, but is Cody Zeller, do you want the last three years of his deal? No, I mean, certainly not. Look at how centers are getting paid now. And people are ascribing this to the the crappy market this year. I really think it won't be this bad, but I really do think that just a center's market value is just, it's, it's trending down hard. Um, so Zeller's deal is going to look increasingly bad in terms of annual salary. He is um, making as the years go on. He is making under two million dollars less than Clint Capella next season. That's yeah, right. It's it's nuts. A trip. Um, let's do uh, the opposite. So teams most likely to be on the right end of a lopsided trade, and Andy this is our, is this our fruit? Yeah, of course the Celtics. Is that those are the only kind of trades they they do? 
Um, that's probably the right answer. Um, <laughs> it's not this is, our answer is the right answer. I'm well, this confident. is amazing. Is this our first agreement? Um, no, Quinn Snyder we agreed on. Um, yeah, you and me both picked the Clippers. Um, and I guess my justification is just like, they've kind of done almost every smart thing they possibly could do. Um, I guess if, if you just go back to, um, you know, the Paul trade, okay, um, fine. But the Griffin, just getting off of the Blake Griffin money, it seemed just seemed truly impossible to me. I cannot believe they were able to trade Blake Griffin's contract. And they did. And then I like their draft. Um, I like the, Shea the Gilgis Alexander. If he is bad, I'm going to look for anyone who listens to me like an idiot. I'm so high on him. Everybody. I, no, I'm not everybody. I agree with you. I think that's the smart. I think he's going to be good. Um, and to get him uh, to get Bradley on a short term deal. Um, they, they just like, they keep doing like little smart things in conjunction with hitting, you know, not, not spending big on Deandre Jordan, just kind of letting him go for the same money. Um, I, I supported that. I just think that the, you know, Jer- I, I always ascribe everything to Jerry West just cause I assume he's the one pulling the strings and he's just this calculating, just genius that just does it right. Um, but I just feel confident that he's always going to make the shrewd decision. And so that's kind of where I'm at for the Clippers. The, and the only thing I can really just add to that is they're set up to just make a fantastic trade. And you look at Big time. look at every star because all their contracts are either short term or expiring. And then let's look at like a couple different star scenarios. So the Jimmy Butler one in Minnesota, the Timberwolves wouldn't trade him and, and be looking to start a rebuild. And so all of a sudden, uh, Los Angeles can give up Beverly, Bradley, a future pick. Maybe Tobias Harris is involved in there, but probably not. They really want to keep him. You give up two of those players a future pick. Maybe you included Jerome Robertson. There you go. Or let's say it's a Damian Lillard situation with Portland where they would be, if they're trading Lillard, they're probably looking to start a rebuild. Uh, You give them any salary filler they want because you have all these expiring deals, and yet you have uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. You have Jerome Robinson. Uh, even a guy like Juwan Evans is interesting, and then you can build picks around that. Not ideal scenarios, but if you're the Blazers and you're shopping Damian Lillard, uh, you're not working from a position of strength. It might even be Kyrie Irving with the Boston Celtics. If Boston looks to move him, and I don't know that they would want Avery Bradley back, uh, although they could probably turn him into a plus defender again, but they would probably want someone like Patrick Beverly. And Luke Bamute. And if you can oh, get, yeah. say, Gildas Alexander out of that. Like, just, they're, they just seem so open-ended on that front. And maybe they don't want to jeopardize their cap space. But if it means getting one of these guys, I do think they'll open the cupboard. And and so I could just see them, uh, you you look at those trades in every scenario. Yeah, maybe Boston's getting enough because they think Kyrie Irving's going to leave. Maybe Portland's getting enough. Maybe Minnesota's getting enough if they think Jimmy Butler's going to leave. But you're the Clippers and you've given up literally no cornerstone to get one of your own. And that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big accomplishment. Two, two things that I thought of as you, you made me think of uh, as far as the Clippers go. One is it's unbelievable to me that they are effectively rebuilding um, without a tank because what they are doing, they are rebuilding this like asset accumulation, all that stuff. They're just doing it without really trying to get a top pick or, you know, make some crazy swing. So, and that's super hard. I mean, the Rockets did it. Um, it's difficult to come up with other examples because it happens so rarely. The second thing is, if you look at this roster, I think you could make the case that other than say uh, Gallo, every single guy is an asset at the number that they're making. Which I'm not sure how many teams there are. You could you could quibble over, I guess, like I don't know, is Mar- is is Boban worth what he's getting paid, or is you know is Lou Williams going to hold up and be worth that? But Lou Williams makes like nothing. He makes mid level money. Um, and the last every single not guaranteed. Yeah, and we'll say you know Bradley. I mean they, they they have just constructed a roster. It's like the opposite of the Heat, where the Heat have all <laughs> these guys that are like these are good players, but they're all they're None of them are great. They're all like market value or above it, just like marginally in a lot of cases. The Clippers are the opposite. A lot of talent kind of deep, but everybody they have is either market value or below. And they're like tradable assets. It's, it's, it's really amazing that they've done this in, I guess, like two years really, or I mean, not even two years, more like one they, they're in. So yeah, they're going to swindle somebody. I feel like, I feel like that's a, there's a safe bet there. You did make me think of something without a justification. If we were to have added an award for team, most likely to 
sweeten a trade enough to get rid of one of its bad contracts, would it be Miami for you? I think it would be Miami for me. What do you, how do they, I, I feel like they're so stuck. What do you do? How, how, where's your, like because, is it Justice Winslow? Is that your sweetener? Yeah, to get or maybe Rodney Magruder, who, yeah. um, fair is pretty, who, who I think is a good player. You're not, I don't mm-hmm. think you give a bam out of bio. And so it would be because your sweeteners are just so low level that I think you'd be willing to combine them, maybe a Winslow and a Magruder to get off a of Deion Waiters or to get off a Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, just, if I'm if I'm if you're taking both, I'm trying to get rid of Whiteside for sure. Yeah, well, I mean they're on 3 years is just at least a, with Whiteside. It's like okay, he's off the books after next year, but you're into waiters for 3 more years even though it's actually it's less money in the aggregate, but to have him on there for that long. Yeah, they they're t- I mean, they're lucky they've got those, you know, those two or three guys that that, that somebody's going to want at, at that money. Although Winslow is going to be due I mean, is due an extension. I think he could sign one this summer if he wanted to, or if the Heat were able to. And that would really change the calculus, I think. Um, but yeah, they're they're really. Uh, this is my new. I'm I'm into this idea that I just came up with that the Heat and Clippers are just like the inverse, the opposite sides of a coin, basically. Um, bonus okay. award for everybody. <laughs> What's that? It was a bonus award for everybody too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So we've got three left. Um, is the 2015-16 Raptors award for the best team that won't get enough love. Um, Can I get, I would like, well, maybe I'll wait to ask for props until we get to the inverse of this award, because I thought it was just such good parallels that I drew in this case. They are. I, lo- I love the, I was trying to think of uh, other Raptors, single te- single season Raptors teams to build awards around, uh, but I just couldn't remember anything about the 14-15 <laughs> Toronto Raptors. Um, so I picked uh, the Jazz which will not be true on this podcast, but I think generally the jazz are always my team for this um, because they're always really good or, you know, at least in recent years. And because they are in a market that nobody sees because it's like out West far enough that it's too late for the East coast. And you just, they're not on TV anyway, because nobody wants to watch them. Um, but they're just so good and they're so well run and they have so many players that are awesome to watch. Like the fact that Joe Ingles, and, you know, to a lesser extent, like someone like Exum or like Royce O'Neal is kind of fun to watch. And he's very fun like to watch. Two percent of the NBA fandom knows who he is. Um, so that's my pick. I just I love the jazz. I always like them. Um, and nobody's going to appreciate them this year, even though they're going to be really good. It's good that you can step away and realize. I feel like we have such a huge jazz fan following because of Andy. I know uh, Twitter specifically, I have a huge swath of jazz followers. And I, I appreciate every single one of them. But. I, I'm so ex- overexposed to jazz stuff in a good way that yeah. I would never pick them for this. And I don't think Andy would either. He picked the Pacers, which I think is another good option. Um, just because with what Toronto did, Boston existing, Philly existing, Milwaukee getting a new coach, what Indy kind of did went under the radar this year. McDermott's a good fit. I like Evans. I do question how well they're going to defend, even though their defense was good post all-star break. Yeah, um, but they could have an encore to last year's forty-eight win campaign. I don't think enough people will be talking about them. I picked. I want to give a shout out to the Spurs because I fully believe they're going to make the playoffs and surprise a lot of people this year. And maybe that gets them enough love, but they're not. I don't know if they handled the Kawhi Leonard trade situation um, perfectly. They definitely didn't. I don't know if they went the right route with their return either. But I, I really think things are going to work, and we're going to look back to make the playoffs in the Western Conference after going through a franchise-altering move like that will be a big deal, and I think they'll get there. My actual pick, though, is the Nets, and I wrote an article ranking the best free agency destinations for 2019. I put the Nets at number four behind the Jazz, Lakers, and Sixers, and just in front of the Clippers at number five. Uh, Pelicans were six, Knicks were seven, and I think they were too high. Pacers were eight, Bulls were nine, and Suns were ten. You could we could quibble over if you want to throw the Clippers above the Nets. I think that's fair. They have done everything right, like you kind of said toward the top of this podcast. They play a style that's super friendly to players, where everyone has the green light. Uh, yep. Since Kenny Atkinson took over, first and sixth respectively in possessions used per forty-eight minutes. Uh, last year's offense finished second in three-point attempts per 100 possessions behind only the Rockets. They don't overwork their players. As I said before, no one's ever averaged 30 minutes per game during this era. I'm sure the right someone will, but the fact that no one has in two years is a big deal. We've seen them kind of revive careers with Spencer Dimwitty and Joe, or salvage careers, excuse me, with Spencer Dimwitty or Joe Harris, or revive 
careers. You look at Damari Carroll. Also, D'Angelo Russell played extremely well before his injury last year. They also, they've put this emphasis on player culture. And having been around them, not so much last season, but the season before, I can attest to that. They have this family lounge um, for, for players, as families, and relatives. They've just placed this emphasis, and they've created such a good culture. And when you're around them, you don't necessarily, they feel losses, but they don't feel like a team that's stuck in the doldrums. And I think people tend to look at their record, uh, maybe some of the players on their roster, and they just laugh it off. But you give them cap space, and not only cap space, but a clear path if they renounce Russell to getting two maxes. They're going to be a dangerous team, and I think they'll show progress this year, not to the point that they uh, clinch a playoff berth, but I believe they're over-under this year when Andy and I did the podcast was 32.5 and I think they'll get to the over and they're just a team that I believe is already underappreciated and think that'll continue. Yeah, I think, I mean, in a lot of ways, the, the, their sort of functionality and, and, you know, I guess high functioning is the better way to put it like high functioning culture. And the, this, the fact that like anytime you do enough reading on the NBA and you're digging into stuff about how, you know, this team is at the forefront of rest uh, studies and this team is at the forefront of like shot selection. It's always the Rockets, but then it's kind of always the Nets too for that sort of stuff. Um, so they're really they're at the vanguard of sort of like all the important things you need to do to build a franchise, which they've had to be because they haven't had the most important thing to build a franchise, which is lottery picks. And now that changes. And it's kind of funny that they've built this thing so well that now that they've got their pick. Like they actually, it might not actually be that good because they're going to be sort of too good and too well run to be, to really suck this year um, when it would behoove them to be terrible. But that's an awesome pick. I think, yeah, the Nets, uh, you know, the wins may not be there. Like, as just doing stuff right, um, they're way up there. And no, I don't think anybody really knows that. Um, let's do the 2017 18 Raptors Award. We just did the 15 16 Raptors. Uh, 1718 Raptors award for the best team that'll get too much love. And I, <laughs> did you think the Raptors got too much love last year? I think maybe, they just ran into LeBron. Maybe it was their fan base with the whole like my team stuff got a little yeah. out of control. And so, yeah, that's fair. Um, I picked the Lakers. Andy picked the Lakers too. Uh, so I'll speak for him. Um, I just like, I feel like this about a half dozen teams in the West, but I'm not a hundred percent sure they're going to be a playoff team. And I mean, we've, I'm sure you've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about just how nonsensical their post LeBron signings were and just, you know, how the team doesn't make sense and how the West is really good. It just, there's all this potential for this to not be that great. And because they're the Lakers, uh, they're going to get a ton of coverage uh, by us, I'm sure. And by everybody else and to just be beloved because they're the Lakers um, and they have LeBron, but I'm not ready to buy them. I just, you know, LeBron's going to fall off eventually. Maybe that happens a little bit. And then the team doesn't make sense. It's just, there's a lot going on that I'm not comfortable with. So, so that's, that's, that's kind of what I went with. And I assume that played into Andy's pick as well. Yeah. And I think you guys are, are right. Uh, I went with the Sixers just because I kind of want to pump the brakes from my own position on them. I almost went with the Mavericks, by the way. People oh. just assume that they're going to be good or better, a lot better than they were last year. Just look at the Western Conference. They're not yeah. going to make the playoffs. They're not going to come close to making the playoffs. Hope And I hope that their quest to kind of sort of win now, when you look at how they traded their first-round pick, signed DeAndre, doesn't impact how much control they give Doncic over the, the offense. They gave Dennis Smith Jr. free reign, and I think they need to do the same combine those two and if that impacts Harrison Barnes then so be it we've seen Dirk can adjust Barnes he played like eighth wheel on Golden State for a while maybe he can but I went with the Sixers just because their starting lineup is probably going to be the best high volume lineup in the league again or close to it and it was last year when you look at net rating and possession played and all that stuff beyond that like can we talk about how like lacking they are Markel Fultz should be better just because he gave you virtually nothing last year. T.J. McConnell's good, and so you have this kind of path to being good at point guard no matter what, thanks to Ben Simmons. Their wing rotation after Robert Covington in the starting lineup and Dario Sarge as well. Wilson Chandler, now Zaire Smith's injured. Shake Milton I'm interested in, but he's a rookie. Uh, is Furkan Korkmaz going to play? I just, I don't know. And I don't know that they're going to be 
the best shooting team. Robert Covington, J.J. Redick, good shooters working off the ball. Redick is like the only guy on this team that I think you look at and say, we want him coming around a bunch of screens and and throwing up these quick fire looks. Maybe Dario Saric as well. Uh, There just doesn't appear to be a lot of depth to them, and they're going to become predictable on offense uh, for long stretches of the seasons. Against elite defenses, I think they'll struggle to carve out spacing. They're still going to be really good, but we're, we're kind of penciling them into the top three conversation for the East uh, in, in the sense that if someone's going to finish with a number one seed, it'll be Toronto, Philly, or Boston. And I'm kind of at the point where I might put uh, Indiana or even Milwaukee in that discussion before I would Philly. And that's not to say they might not get the three seed or the two seed. I'm just not sure if they're there yet. They're still kind of young and they're going to have to rely on some inexperienced pieces to get by. And we don't know what Wilson Chandler is going to look like in their offense. They'll be good defensively, as you said, but, and, and they should be good offensively, particularly if Joel Embiid limits his turnovers in the post and, and gets back to kind of hitting threes like he did as a rookie. But what if he doesn't? And all of a sudden you have two non-shooters on the floor for your starting lineup. That's going to complicate matters. And you throw Wilson Chandler in there, who's a league average shooter on his best night instead of Covington or Redick, and you really create uh, some issues. I kind of just want to pump the brakes on the hype. Hype. I don't think they're there yet. They still kind of feel like that one piece away or two bit players or two ideal plug-and-play fits away from being that truly elite team. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think the range of outcomes for them is greater than like almost any other really yeah. good team that I can think of. Um, just because almost virtually every single meaningful player, you know, let's say, I mean, Embiid being injured potentially is we're not going to talk about that. It may happen, may not, whatever. But you know, like Reddick is old. Reddick could be done tomorrow. Like yeah, that—that that happens sometimes. Um, ben Simmons might never shoot. Markel Fultz might be last year's Markel Fultz, but he also might be the number one pick, Markel Fultz. I'm not. I am not ready to foreclose that possibility that he comes in and basically plays like you know 85% of James Harden. Like I'm ready for that to happen. I think that is in the cards potentially. But he also might be out of the league in a year. Um, Chandler could be way better than he was with Denver last year. He could be terrible. It's just, there's so many, what's Mike Muscala going to do? Is he going to stretch the floor and play some five and, or is he just going to be useless? I don't know. You know, is it weird to say that I would feel a lot different about this team if the elites had stuck with them instead of going to the Kings? No, because they need they need that guy. I mean, you talk, you think about him. He the the things I was just talking about don't apply to him. You sort of have an idea of what Bielitz is going to do, um, and and that sort of constant in a rotation spot would really matter. I don't know if it would, you know, make your pick wrong. You know, even even then, I think it'd be a, a good pick by you. The but backup five with them is weird now too. Jonah Bolden yeah. might be good, but what is Amir Johnson going to really be for this Nothing. team? Uh, I always think he's older than he is, though. I'll say that. He's 31. I always think he's just, it feels like he's been around forever. So uh, I'm going to be wrong on this, but I think he's, the, is he the last high school guy to come into the league? I actually, um, I actually believe that he is. Yeah. Yeah. That, there you go. I mean, he's been in the league forever, but um, yeah, that's a good pick. That's, they're, the Sixers are really tough to peg for me because you could talk me into them being the top seat. I mean, who knows? The, the like I said, the outcomes are are just all over the place for them. Denver might be the team that I see maybe with the wider range of outcomes aside from Philly. And they're another team that I think could probably go in this category just because they get no national attention whatsoever. And people automatically think that we have a Nikola Jokic award uh, named after this because people <laughs> appreciate him. You know what, though? I don't see the massive upside for Denver. This is a topic for another podcast, but like, I just don't see a scenario where their defense is anything but bad. Um, and a so healthy that, Porter Jr. could have been the wild card there. He's he's not healthy, but yeah, I, I just I just don't know. I don't know how they get stops at like an elite level. I think they'll be a top five offense. But here's my thing: is that I, they might be so good on offense that it doesn't matter. We called, yeah. and I'm not proud of a lot of what we say on this podcast, but <laughs> we called uh, Jamal Murray, Damian Lillard, medium well. So it's just like he if he kind of makes that leap, not to be Damian Lillard, but to be close to that player, their offense is just going to zoom and it's going to be impossible to stop. I, I forget where I said it, but I called Murray uh, Blurry Curry because like, if, you, if you squint, 
the way he moves around screens and the way he kind of sh- these like kind of like has a languid way of you know darting in and out of the lane like you could just see a little bit of young Steph Curry and, there and, so I mean that we've fits because our... we've talked about how Damian Lillard is sort of the closest thing to Stephen Curry that the NBA yeah. had so yeah <laughs> suffice it to say we're very high on Jamal Murray and we should probably just scale it back a little bit because that's a lot nope, of pressure nope blurry Curry medium well done <laughs> Damian Lillard that's Jamal Murray perfect he's all he is everything um, let's do the last one since Andy did not participate and I made it up earlier today. The 2017, can we pick for him after you say the award in the description, everyone knows that he's <laughs> going to pick Dante Exum. <laughs> That's what actually Dante Exum makes a lot of sense here. It's the, uh, it's the 2017, 18 Tyus Jones award, which is given to the player who inexplicably does not get enough time. Um, and Tyus Jones did not play enough last year. He, I was just working on something. So I, it's the only reason I have these stats handy. Um, he w- among guys, I think he was fourth in steal percentage, and he also had a 570 true uh, true shooting percentage, which is not good, but it's good enough to get on the floor ahead of someone like Derrick Rose, and it's definitely good enough to get a, to eat into Jeff Teague's minutes a little bit. Um, but Jones just just didn't play enough. Um, for how good he was, and Derrick Rose is back this year. So guess what? My award winner is Tyus Jones because time is a flat circle, and Tom Thibodeau hates Tyus Jones, and he's going to bury him again. That's a solid pick, just like the Jokic Award picking Jokic for was a good pick. It really rolled off the tongue. This, I don't know, know why. The other thing about Tyus Jones, and real plus minus is kind of a mystery with ESPN, but I assume that RPM wins is more of a cumulative stat, it um, and it's better fit for rankings. He was 13th among point guards in RPM wins last year. He's good. Notable, He's good. Notable point guards he was ahead of. Darren Collison, who led the league in three-point percentage. Kyrie Irving. Jeff Teague. Jamal Murray. Goran Dragic. Marcus Smart, George Hill, John Wall, and he's only play, he only played 17.9 minutes a game, and the fact that Derrick Rose is still there, that was the other thing. Tom Thibodeau even said, we need wings who defend and shoot threes. His first two moves of the offseason were hard-capping the Timberwolves for Anthony Tolliver and re-signing Derrick Rose. Just, I yeah. mean, come on. But it was so on brand. It's, I think yeah. there's a quote out there today or the last couple of days that said Jones and Rose are going to split time, which is like, yeah, well, 90-10 is a split. You know, it doesn't mean 50-50 is a split. It just, I just, uh, I don't get it. Every time I work up something of like, you know, trade targets or whatever, anytime a team needs a point guard, Tyus Jones is almost always the first guy I go to just because you got to get him out of there because he can play. Um, he's not a star, but he's better than, well, I mean, with the numbers you just gave, several starters. So um, that's, that's it just, it's it's mystifying to me. Uh, who's your guy? My pick was, just because I didn't want to pick Tyus Jones, and I think he probably is the best pick, uh, Frank Mason the third, who I'm probably just too high on. Maybe I like these like short wingspan guys who are undersized, 5'11". He's just super strong and super pinball-y. He shot... Uh, an insane percentage when I was looking the other day off pull-up threes, particularly when you kind of look at um, what the Kings were doing. I believe he was at 37%, 37 plus percent on pull-up threes. And that's like, even in a low volume, that's, that's really good. He was actually at 37.9% on pull-up threes. So I was close. I'm interested in him defensively uh, just because I think he can match up with a lot of point guards that you wouldn't expect him to, uh, he fared semi well at times when he was sort of, uh, not sort of, but when he was defending Fred Van Vliet. Um, when he, I mean, M- Emmanuel Moody, I guess, doesn't count, but he saw a lot of time on Jamal Murray last year, uh, on Damian Lillard. And he wasn't necessarily great in all these situations, but you were able to get by with him there. De'Aaron Fox obviously projects as the better defensive prospect. That's not what I'm saying. But the Yogi Ferrell signing, and I like Yogi Ferrell, it makes me uneasy because it, it kind of signals that the Kings view Frank Mason as their third point guard. And I'd really like to get to a point where you see him um, not not replacing Fox in the starting lineup, but he gets time with some of the starters. Um, something I found interesting, he played 515 possessions last year, according to Clean the Glass, with Bogdanovich and Buddy Heald on the court. The Kings had a 109.1 offensive rating and a plus 1.1 uh, net rating overall. That's I think he's legitimately good. And I don't want that to be, unless they know something about his health that we don't, which is, uh, it's possible. I'm, I'm not going to rule that out. 
but uh, he did because he did only appear in 52 games last year. I just feel like he should be getting 20 or more minutes per game in this Sacramento situation, and I'm not sure they're going to have the playing time to allocate to him with the way their roster is set up. No, I mean, it seems pretty clear that that he's not a rotation guy for them right now, or they don't view him as one. To me, like the thing that seems to work against him is just everything about him screams career backup. Like, and he's basically some you know new generation's version of of somewhere between Jameer Nelson and DJ Augustine, like these undersized stocky ish guys who can't finish at the rim, but will make their threes and just like not screw up very much. Like that's Frank. Frank Mason is just, you know, Jameer Nelson, like reincarnated. I mean, he'd be lucky to have Jameer Nelson's career, I think, because, you know, he was on some good magic teams, but he just looks like your typical backup. And maybe that affects Tyus Jones too, because he's a little smaller, but it's just, it's an uphill battle because it's, you know, he, he, he fits the stereotype so well that it may be difficult. He'd have to do so much to really carve out minutes just because of sort of what his profile is. And maybe they just think this is a four-year college player. That was kind of his peak. I That's would, another thing. I would still lean toward he deserves another year to see if he has like even a slight extra year. I mean, 24 isn't super old. Um, and just for Yogi Ferrell, you know, it's, I mean, okay. Yeah. But... We you made it through this pod. Uh, we'll probably have been split up into two pods because we went for almost two hours um, in some with all these awards, and they're going to be evergreen at this point in the off season. If you made it to the end, uh, congratulations, Grant and I and Andy as well. Appreciate it. I want to thank Grant for being so generous with his time. I thought we might have been quicker, but whenever me and him get together, it turns into a, a verbosity competition, and so. But this was fun. I enjoyed these. Um, categories. Hopefully, our uh, listeners are lighthearted enough to to not get so triggered about the ones that made their teams come off in unflattering fashion. And I believe that they are smart enough and enjoy the game enough and want to have fun that that they'll that they'll take this up for what it is. If you want to follow Grant on Twitter, and you should, you can get at him at gt underscore hughes. Find his work at Bleacher Report. He is a fantastic writer. Um, if you want to follow me, I am at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy at Andrew D. Bailey. Hardwood Knox is at Hardwood Knox. Uh, MBA Math, our sponsor, is at MBA underscore math. Just want to remind you again to please continue rating and reviewing and subscribing to us. We really appreciate it. Love seeing the numbers go up. Promote us on Twitter if you're enjoying the pod. If you like something you say, quote us. If you don't like something you say, quote us anyway. Um, we really, again, appreciate all the support, and it really does humble Andy and I whenever we look at the numbers for the pod or whenever we realize that people actually listen. So thank you as usual, and if you can continue helping us build, that would be spectacular. Until next time, I slipped up in one of our previous recordings, but I leave you with a shout-out to Kyle Anderson and no one else, except maybe Tyus Jones and Frank Mason. Lowe's knows you'll do it right, and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Root Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.